Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, an explanation blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. I am William Chase, joined tonight by Rachel Buells. What's up, Rachel? Hi, everybody. We're also joined by special guest Dave Metzold of Fox Sports Ohio. Thanks for joining us, Dave. Happy to be here. Happy to get uh, uh, every day closer to hockey is a good day, right? That's the best way to put it. Exactly. And you lead into my first question because I was wondering right off the bat, how have you been spending your time with since hockey ended, and how ready are you for the Jackets' leaps? And are you making that trip to Toronto or no? Uh, it's funny. I was playing golf today with Bob McGilligan and John Luc Grandpierre, and uh, we were talking about the fact that really no local broadcasters are going to Toronto, and not just Blue Jackets broadcasters, no local broadcasters from any team, radio, TV, nothing. It's uh, basically U.S. rights holders and Canadian uh, rights holders who are going to be in the bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton. So uh, that's the uh, answer to the last question first. The first question is, like everybody, I've just been reading and watching and hoping and, you know, trying to get a gauge on where we are with the, with the COVID-19 and everything else to see if they're going to play, how they're going to do it, and, you know, where they're going to play. That was a bulk of my early summer was, man, are they going to, like, you know, when they first paused, I thought, okay, Betna seems to have a handle on this that nobody else seems to have on it. So it's going to be a short pause. And then it got to be a longer pause. And then it got to be, how are they going to do it? And even once they figured out how they were going to do it, I wasn't convinced they were going to find a way to get to it. And they have. And now here we are, you know, just a couple of weeks away. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it really is. I'm really, I just can't wait to see it finally happen. Hopefully it could go off, you know, as, as safely as possible. But yeah. I was going to say, this is just such the epitome of like a one day at a time situation. And I just feel like in anything, any professional sports, that's not normally how things are planned or how things like it's not uh, usually that teams are, are being reactive. But the situation is like we have to see how everything goes and, and again, just take it a day at a time. So it's been it's been interesting to watch from the outside, see how everyone's dealing with this. Yeah. And then you throw the whole CBA aspect of it into the whole picture, which was a huge part of it because this is basically a lost year. If they don't get all that stuff coordinated and with all the money that has been lost by the teams and the owners and and that type of thing, they've got to be given some concessions in terms of salary cap and that type of thing. 
I know the players really wanted the Olympics back in the schedule, and that was an important uh, get on their part. So that was a huge part of getting back to play was not just the logistics of, all right, we're going to go to Toronto, we're going to go to Edmonton, this is how the bubble's going to work, but making sure that the NHLPA and the NHL were happy moving forward. So, uh, you know, we actually got a two-for-one there, and that's, uh, that's a good thing for everybody moving forward. Nice. Well, I want to bring it back to the end of last season, which feels like so long ago. But where we where the Jackets left off compared to where they are now is like almost night and day, it feels like. Um, And it is a broad question. So just feel free to to pick your your favorite storylines. But what were your thoughts on this past season? There were, like I said, so many storylines from injuries um, to our goaltenders. Uh, Nathan Gerby, and then the winning stretch that kind of picked up in December and was cut short. So what, what did you think about all that? Yeah, uh, let's uh, go all the way back to the beginning where goaltending was going to be such a big question. And uh, this whole unknown entity that was Elvis Merzlikens, right? We all heard what he was capable of, but nobody had ever seen him do it in North America. So that was my first big curiosity. And my second curiosity going into the season was, like everybody else, how are you going to replace guys like Duchesne and Panarin? That, that obviously was, was item number one. And, and the way the season started, I thought, oh, man, there's, nobody wants to be the guy. They, they need somebody to step up here and be the guy. And uh, ultimately, I think they found a way to get it done by, uh, by committee, which was fantastic. And they had to as the injuries started to pile up, too. So uh, that was my, my feeling going in. Moments where I'll be totally honest with you, I thought this team is not getting anywhere near the postseason. They're just not. They miss those key elements too much. And then, you know, Corpy started to play pretty well. And uh, even when Corpy didn't play well, uh, Elvis comes on in the middle of the year and, and has that great New Year's Eve game and then has the game in Vegas. And I'm like, maybe, just maybe. But then, then stuff like uh, Seth Jones goes down and Bjorkstrand goes down. I'm like, okay. There's just no chance. And still, uh, even with those two guys out of the lineup, they find themselves when the season was paused right there on the doorstep of being able to get in and playing pretty well in that last game uh, on the uh, on the Western Canada swing. So um, it, it was a really fun season because there were so many storylines, right? I mean, uh, the, the Elvis storyline all by itself was just a great, great storyline to follow. His, his mental gaffes, his start in Pittsburgh, which was awful. Uh, the way he played in Winnipeg, giving up that late goal and just, oh my God, I can't believe it. And then all of a sudden, here he comes. Oh, there he is. There's the guy. And it all sets the table for uh, for this little sprint to the finish here that's going to start in Toronto, which, man, I think it's going to be exciting. And, and oh, by the way, everybody, including Josh Anderson, is back. I'm sure we're going to get to that. So that's pretty fun. Yeah, and you know, it's, I, I go back with Elvis that Chicago game around New Year's, and uh, just that seemed to be kind of they could use that moment, that rallying cry to like we got jobbed basically, and they were able to just go on that crazy streak after that. And yeah, and then I remember that game. Uh, you mentioned Jones and Bjorkstrand going down. I remember the game against Ottawa where they tooth and nail, fought, you know, got that win in overtime, but they were in the middle of a crazy losing streak. It was just right. Yeah, so I'm really curious, kind of. Obviously, with your role with Fox Sports Ohio, kind of what your average game day is like, because I know, you know, you'll, you'll be reporting, uh, you know, ice level before the game. You're doing intermission uh, interviews. You're sometimes talking in the middle periods. I know you got probably somebody in your ear kind of directing you, but I'm just kind of curious, like, what that's like, you know, your average game day, uh, just 
all over the place, basically handling all kinds of different interviews and, you know, yeah, uh, it's different depending upon whether or not there's a morning skate, but, uh, I'll give it to you on the, on the home side first. Uh, there usually, uh, is some type of meeting and then either an optional skate or a full skate for the boys around 1030. So we go in about 10 torts usually at home speaks, uh, without going on the ice. So we get torts thoughts first which is actually good because then we can take whatever Torts is thinking and take that into the room with us, which is great. So uh, we'll do uh, what, you know, whatever the game is. Let's say they're playing Pittsburgh. We'll go in, we'll get our thoughts on Pittsburgh and on whoever's had a, a relatively good run of play as of late. And then whatever's either bugging Torts or whatever Torts has on his mind, whatever he thinks they're doing well, he usually is pretty good about you know, letting us know what he's thinking going into a game. Um, so we take that theme into, uh, into the room in the morning and come up with a good theme for the pregame show. And frankly, we come up with a pretty good theme for the rest of the game too, as well, in terms of what Jeff and Jody are going to focus on and what kind of things we can look forward to in terms of how we expect the Jackets to play that night. So that's what happens in the morning. Then we, uh, we generally go home until I think our afternoon meeting is 4.15, 4.30, something like that. We kind of reiterate everything we're going to do. Sometimes player availability is late in the afternoon, so we'll get players late in the afternoon. We'll talk with uh, PR and, and decide who our bench hit's going to be, and that's generally, listen, who had a big goal in the last game, who's been playing really well, who's playing their former team. That seems to be a very common one. Uh, and basically, you know, whoever the hot player is of that particular day and, and why he might be on, on a pedestal on that particular day. And, and sometimes, frankly, it's just, well, who haven't we had on the bench for a while, you know, and, and we'll come up with somebody else. So, um, and then game days are just kind of laid out in front of me in terms of, of how the game goes, right? So first intermission guest will be a guy who had a pretty good first period. If the Jackets are getting shelled in the first period, generally we'll get a third or fourth line guy, uh, maybe a, a defenseman like a Scotty Harrington, guys that we know are not running quite as hot as like a Boone Jenner or a Gustav Nyquist, sometimes those guys are running so hot competitively, they don't want to do the walk-off, especially if they're losing, if they're not playing well. Uh, and that's no knock on them at all. They're, they're competitive guys. The last thing they want to do is, is have me go, hey, Boone, you know, who's mine? And he's like, oh, no. So uh, generally we'll get a guy who is, is more uh, amenable and doesn't run quite as hot, if you know what I mean. Uh, post-game, same situation. Player of the game is really obvious. Um, most times that goes to Jody out on the bench because it's such a great element to have is that player out on the bench with Jody and then I'll get whoever might be the second star or maybe Jody talked to a player in the, in the second period so he doesn't want to talk to that player again on the bench and then I'll talk to him and then uh, go into the room and then uh, buckle up, put your seatbelt on, head in for torch <laughs> and see what we're going to get and uh, go home, call it a day. Definitely. You know, it's funny. I uh, live in Virginia, so I was here for a Jackets-Caps game a few years ago, and I was the ice level for warm-ups, and you came out, and you were right there, and I was like, oh, here's Dave. I remember it's like TV was right there on my bench, basically, or on the bench right in front of me, so kind of yeah. funny, but uh, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the most fun part of my day, to be honest with you. The, the bench hit is great. I mean, you're, you're standing on an NHL bench uh, right before game time. Uh, the players are chirping you and you're, you're kind of, you know, it's a, it's a comfortable place for me to be there now, but I, I never take it for granted because good God, I'm standing on an NHL bench during warmup. It's fantastic. So, uh, there's always a good vibe because everybody's optimistic and there's a good, good feeling on the bench always before games. 
one one of my new roles, Dave, I just wanted to clarify because I don't think we've ever talked about this, but I am always floating around at all the games. I work for the, yeah. the NHL. I'm the contracted like social media video camera person. And one of, one of my new things this year that Anthony and TJ were like, all right, Rachel, we want you to go do is to um, go out on the ice after the game and record the jump hug and then like be up on the bench. Like, and that has been, I'm telling you like the sweat, like I was so nervous when I started to do it, but then I feel like when you, I do it, it just like is, you know, I'm adrenaline and I'm just like, okay, if I fall in front of this arena, you know, whatever, that's what I try not to think about. But my favorite part at the end of the game is obviously after a win, after getting that jump hug and then being there and uh, Rick take I have so many good pictures. I'm going to have to send these to you. I'll like DM them to you on Twitter or something, but I have so many good pictures of you with with the players um, talking. And I always love listening in on those interviews. And you're right. It is such an interesting dynamic to consider, especially in between periods when it's, you know, it's funny to to sense which guys are like maybe want to be in the locker room right now and like don't want to be having this chat or like the ones that are like super hyped up or like I think my favorite is like a post game like Zach Wierenski interview where you can just even if it's like such like a high emotion you would just like never know yeah. <laughs> like he's yeah. just a clean slate <laughs> and, and with Zach too there's a guy that I can't wait until he gets uh, just a, a, a little bit more comfortable with being himself in front of us because he's a funny dude and like I've talked to his dad before and his his dad has said, look, he's got hockey Zach, and then he's got Zach that we see at home. And you guys would love the guy that we see at home. And, and I think it'd be great to see a little bit more of that, but he's, he's pretty buttoned down. There are other guys who are, who are not. Obviously, Cam and I have a pretty good uh, interaction whenever Cam's the bench hit. That's always fun. And, but, man, there's, there's guys who, when you tab them for that postgame hit, if they've lost, they're like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry, man. we got to do it. So, um, yeah, that, that can sometimes be a role of the place. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. What's your favorite player, I guess, to talk to? Or I won't put you on the spot and say which one do you not want to talk to. I'm sure you love talking with all of them, but I guess, like you kind of mentioned already, like the ones that are already kind of competitively, you know, hot, 
it's kind of like, I kind of don't want right. to mess with him. So I guess like, which, which one are maybe the most fun or, you know, who, who do you like really talking well, to the most? Uh, Nick is great. Nick is absolutely fantastic. And you could talk to him every night. I mean, you really could, because he gives you good insight and that type of thing. Seth Jones is really, really good. Always answers. Every answer is honest, right? He doesn't give you the coach speak or the, or the uh, cliche stuff. Seth is, is really, really good. Uh, Cam is good too, but he's got to be in the mood for it. If he's had a good period, he's happy to talk to you. Obviously, if he scored a game winning goal, he's happy to talk to you. Um, there are, I mean, really, there's no bad one. Like, even Vladislav Gabrikov is great and really just kind of coming he's out. He's my now. favorite. Yeah, he's just kind of coming mm-hmm. out and he's, he's fun. Yeah. And, he's, and he's really, he's great. Um, it it kind of depends upon when you catch him. Sometimes David Savard will give you very robotic, cliche ridden answers, but sometimes that Savard sense of humor comes out and he's, and he's really good. Um, Scott Harrington is great to talk to, but he gets a little long. Um, and Brad Shaw is great to talk to, but he gets a little long. So sometimes the producers in my ear going, okay, you got to wrap them up, got to wrap them up. Um, it's just, it, there, there are no bad ones. Um, there are some guys who struggle with their English a little bit, who sometimes, uh, are, are struggling with it. So they're not real comfortable. Bemstrom comes to mind as a guy who, uh, really, really struggles with it. Marco Dano, uh, when he was here the first time, he never said no, even though his English sometimes was really choppy. He wanted to work through it. So he, uh, he, he fought through it. And now, you know, in the times that we talked to him when he was here this year, he was, he was great. Um, so it's just, yeah, there's, there's no bad ones. And my favorite of the year so far has been Elvis after the Vegas game, uh, after the shutout in Vegas. And it's too bad that it was so late because he was so pumped up. And I'm like, uh, so Elvis, uh, you know, you took your goal stick and you thrust it in the air and then you turn it around, you play it like a guitar. And he goes, yeah, he goes, I was so nervous for the last two minutes of that game because I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to be a shutout. I mean, it, it was just great. It was great. Yeah, it was really, it's, it's always fun. That was the same moment, I think, because I love my, one of my favorite players to take pictures of is uh, Gavrikov, because he just always has the most, like, goofy, like, I could just, he's always having fun, and he, that was when he went up right up into Elvis's ear and was like, come on, we gotta go, we're it. in Vegas. Right, right. That was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they cracked me up. Yeah, he is, uh, he is a funny dude, and he's always aware. He, he knows where that camera is, he knows where mm-hmm. to play after he scores a goal, and he does the phone thing, so yeah, he's, he's, he's one of my favorite guys to talk to, and I think he's going to get better. I really think he's going to get even better, because he's getting more comfortable. Totally. I agree. Um, so I'm curious to know, and I really only ever talked to Donnie about this. So <laughs> shout out to Donnie. I'm going to tell him, I'm going to tell him to listen to this episode that I talked about him, but I know that like the traveling is awesome and like, Oh my God, how fun to get to go to every city and, you know, be at all 82 games and whatever. But I know it's also exhausting. So I guess I wanted to just ask your opinion for, you know, the, the, the highs and lows of traveling with the team and what that like, what that is like and what, um, cities and arenas really stick out to you that you look forward to going to? Yeah, uh, to me, that is the number one perk. And it's funny because I was with Bobby McGilligan today and, and Bobby's talked to other guys around the league. And, and we all know what a perk it is to travel and how great it is to stay in these hotels that these teams stay in and fly the way the team flies. And we're all a little nervous, you know, because like, are we going to do this ever again? Or are they just going to, are we going to be doing Zoom meetings forever, you know? Are we going to do everything like right. this? And, and I'm never going back to Vancouver. God, I hope that's not true. But 
everybody is nervous about it in the industry because the travel, whether you're covering the Reds or whether you're doing an NBA game or whatever the case with the travel is the best part. So, um, you know, we've talked about the, the home schedule, the, the uh, road schedule is a little bit different again, based on whether or not they have uh, they have a morning skate. But for me, and I've been doing this for seven years now, the first thing I do is when are my windows to get out and explore New York, Toronto, uh, LA, um, San Jose. I mean, when can I go? When can I go to the mountains in Denver? I have actually rented a car between morning skate and puck drop in Denver and gone to the mountains so I can get the hell to the mountains because I love them. Um, I have friends in Phoenix, a good college buddy. I play golf in Phoenix every trip. It's like, it's fantasy stuff, right? And, and people go, well, yeah, I follow you on Instagram. Seems like you travel a lot. People who don't know what I do, I'm like, yeah, I travel a lot. And it's awesome. <laughs> um, it's, it's my favorite part of the job. And, and I have now with this whole shutdown and, and the, the virus and all that, I've really come to appreciate it more and more because uh, I did take advantage of it. I've seen every one of these cities. I've gone to the parliament buildings in Ottawa because I wanted to see them. Uh, when I was in San Jose, we had a day off in San Jose and the guys are like, uh, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm like, I'm driving to Yosemite. You're driving to Yosemite. That's like 200 miles away. I'm like, yeah, but what else am I going to do? Yosemite's right there. I'm going to go see it. So, uh, that, I mean, it's just, it's the best part of the job and not, not everybody takes advantage of it. Not everybody in my kind of position takes advantage of it, but I do every time, and I'll tell you what, if we're lucky enough to go in whatever the 2021 20, season looks like, I'm going to go maybe even harder than I have in the past because you never know when it's going to get taken away from me, right? Right. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I'm feeling the same, and I don't travel as much, but I, I, I love traveling, and I, um, I'm feeling a little trapped in Ohio right now, yeah. so yeah. I'm, uh, I'm missing being on the road. What's your favorite hockey building that you uh, see on the road? Uh, well funny that you'd ask that my my two favorite buildings on the road are toronto and montreal for obvious reasons uh toronto's building even when they are not good is always full and it's always full of energetic knowledgeable hockey fans the uh, the tradition of the montreal Canadiens lives now in the bell center it's not quite the same as the old forum I wish I would have been able to see a game in the forum it's still there in montreal and talk about things that you do on the road I, I wanted to go see it. It's a shopping mall or a theater or something now, but there's enough stuff there where you can go see it. But the tradition, when they start doing the on-ice projections of the players and the cups and the things that have happened in Montreal, and they have this, this uh, cup wall. It's got their 24 cups, miniature versions. They're, I don't know, they're probably this big, um, right outside their dressing room. Every time I go there, I've taken a picture of it. I don't know. 15 times I take a picture of it every time. And I post it to Instagram every time. Like anybody who's really paying attention is like, okay, Dave, find something new to take a picture of. But it's so flipping cool. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? 24 cups in one place. And so those are my favorite buildings. Um, hands down. Vancouver is my favorite uh, road city without a doubt. It is just such a special place. Uh, Boston ironically is really creeping up the list. But we were able to spend a lot of time there last year. Uh, I was able to, you know, go to Fenway and go through the Boston Common and go all the way to the ocean. And I mean, it's just, it's, 
the food, the nightlife, the everything, the history, it's, it's amazing. And, and I think most of their statues are still standing. So keep your fingers crossed on that. <laughs> is there ever a city or a building that you're like, not that you don't want to go, but it's just for whatever Carolina, reason you're like, Carolina, eh. Carolina. <laughs> sorry, Carolina fans. They play That's in a college funny. basketball arena. You know, you look around, and you, State, you go yep. Wolfpack. I'm like, what? Come on. They want a cop give them their own building. Right. Huh. I didn't yeah. know that. That is weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the, the first time I went there, like, um, I'm walking around the, the, out the, the concourse there, and uh, you know, there's two NCAA basketball national championship trophies in the concourse. I'm like, this isn't a hockey building. Yeah. It's a basketball building. So, yeah. Sorry to cut you off, but hands down, Carolina, it's always the answer. No, that's fine. That was the answer to the question, yeah. (laughs) Carolina's kind of close to me, but I've never been to a game there. So I'll have to see Columbus play there once. I always go to D.C. for the games now. Um, So talking about college, though, so obviously you've done a lot of work covering Ohio State over the years. So kind of curious about maybe some of the differences or similarities in, you know, covering both the Jackets and Ohio State and maybe like, I know it's probably kind of hard to even compare an atmosphere, but Ohio State beating Michigan at home or the Jackets sweeping the lightning in the playoffs. I mean, just talk about, you know, kind of each yeah. experience. Uh, and I have experienced both. So they're, they're both cool. Um, I, I, I'll be quite candid with you. I've, I've soured a little bit on college athletics because it's gotten too big for me. Uh, when I was a kid, a long, long time ago, my dad and I used to go watch University of Minnesota play. And it was real college football. You know, it was, it was true rah, 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 sis, boom, ba stuff, you know, uh, where it was marching bands and cheerleaders and it was student athletes out there on the field. And, uh, when I got to Columbus in 94, uh, the first event I covered was Ohio State, Illinois at the horseshoe. And I thought, this is the greatest thing ever. This is just so fantastic with ramp entrance. And, uh, the way the, the Buckeyes play, well, actually they lost to Illinois that day, but the whole tradition around a game at, uh, at the shoe was fantastic. And, and then it just slowly started to change. I think Trestle did a good job of keeping it college oriented, but man, once that marriage between Ohio State and Urban Meyer happened, it became NFL light, man. So that, that has changed a little bit for me. I, I loved, Ohio State beating Michigan in 2002. I thought that was fantastic. Uh, I was at the Rose Bowl in 97 uh, to see them beat Arizona State, which was fantastic. But right now, man, I, I'll tell you, I, I, would rather see, I would rather see a Blue Jackets playoff victory at home in a jam-packed nationwide arena, maybe because there's still a novel aspect to it where the fans here are losing their minds, you know, when that happens. Uh, whereas at Ohio State, it's kind of expected, you know. Oh, wow! Yeah, well, expected. I mean, yeah, you know, whatever the countdown clock is for you know, the days since Michigan has beaten, or whatever that is, it's just expected now that that happens. And for the Blue yeah, Jackets, I agree. It's not expected that they win. We all want them to win, but it's not expected that they are going to play at that level for a sustained period of time. So when it happens, it's just—I think it's fantastic. I mean, it's just really the best. Yeah, it's kind of funny you say that because uh, even living in Virginia now, I used to live in Ohio until before we moved to Virginia. So anyway, even being in Virginia, it's like, okay, I still see Ohio State every week on national TV, but it's like not what it used to be as a kid, you know, growing up. It was different. And now I feel like, you know, you said at the NFL, like, you know, it's expected. They're supposed to be undefeated every yeah. year. They're supposed to win the championship. And it's like, yeah, I get so what you're saying. Like so. I, was at, uh, I was at my friend's house here around the corner 
he's got a big Buckeye basement. I was at his house for that game against Clemson. And I, I'm telling you, when they lost, you had to keep people away from the sharp knife drawer, right? Like, like <laughs> these people are crazy. Like, it was a great game. Okay, maybe the officials had a little too much to do with it. But these people are nuts because, oh, they didn't win the national championship. No, but they had a pretty good year. Well, no, there's no such thing as that. Uh, whereas I think Blue Jackets fans still appreciate a really, really good season, even in, if it doesn't lead to, to a Stanley Cup. You know, that, that's going to happen, but it's, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> my, my freshman year at Ohio State was us winning the national championship. And then every year after that, and I am not like a die, I, I'm a diehard Ohio State person, but like the football team, it didn't. Like I wasn't a pers- person reaching for a sharp knife. Like at that after that cleansing game, I was like, "Oh damn it!" But like, uh, it it isn't that isn't that so weird? How like a team like that that you love so much? It's like they can only disappoint you because when they win the games yeah. that they're expected to win, it's like, okay, good, you were supposed to do that. Yeah. So it's so much more fun being a Blue Jackets fan and being with them through the ups and downs as opposed to Ohio State just always being on the ups and then being like mad when they're <laughs> you know whatever. And it was, it was a it was a good time of year to be a freshman, but whatever. I will also add that uh, I don't think there is any moment in sports that is quite like a goal being scored, especially a game-winning goal. Because, I mean, if you think about it, football, they're marching down the field, and there may be a touchdown pass, and it may be a long touchdown pass, but you know that they're in a position where they can score. Uh, baseball is the same thing. Basketball, they're scored all the time. When that game-winning goal is scored in a playoff game or even in a big game at home, even, you know, when you're playing against Sergei Bobrovsky at home for the first time, whatever. And that goal is scored. There is nothing like that moment when fans rise out of their seats. Yeah. And that, you know, it's, and I'm not even taking it all the way to the cannon. I'm just saying that five or 10 seconds right after that goal is scored. There's nothing like it. Uh, I tell people all the time, you talk about building atmosphere at Madison square garden. When the Rangers score a goal, there is nothing like it. So people say, well, you're rooting for the Blue Jackets. Well, oh, yeah, I want the Blue Jackets to win, but I want the Rangers to score a goal in the process because there is nothing like the way the Rangers fans react to a goal. They do it. You know, it's been great. It's just great. Um, and that, that only happens in hockey. And, and I love it. That's one of the reasons I love the game as much as I do. When I go to Caps games, I love... I love the road atmosphere when they boo like the team coming out on the ice, like the the way team, of course. And but I hate I hate being in that seat when their goal horn goes off and it's just like eighteen thousand people around me screaming. I'm just like sitting there, just like oh yeah. my god. But uh, but it's great when they score on the road. And I was I was actually at Game Five of the playoffs a couple of years ago when Calvert had two goals. And they lost the game in overtime, but uh, yeah, it's definitely a good. Yeah, good well, and playoff hockey, playoff hockey takes it to a whole nother level. Oh yeah. That was my Definitely. that was my biggest ask from my supervisors at the NHL like social last year when I was collecting, you know, content for them to share uh during the playoffs was like we need you to capture like the atmosphere at Nationwide because it's like they can tell through the TV how insane it is but like to be on the ground and then, you know, be going and m- one of my um girlfriends from the Lantern at Ohio State, she works at the dispatch now and her job during the playoffs last year was to bring the um, like earthquake measure, what oh. like a Richter scale or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, and sh- so she would bring those to the, the playoffs game playoff games last year. And like, it was literally like an earthquake was happening. Like it was insane. But so yeah, yeah it's, there's a really special atmosphere yeah. for sure. And that's real. I mean, you know, you hear people say all the time, our fans are the best, our fans are the best, but nationwide is one of the loudest buildings 
in the National Hockey League. I can attest to that for sure. Your your son worked for the Jackets for a few seasons. This was news to me. Will just told me. Yep. Um, what was it like having <laughs> Elaine told yeah, me? Uh, what was it like having your work careers overlap with each other? Um, and what, what what went through your mind when your daughter Ellie apparently asked Torts a question for the first time? <laughs> I, and I would love to know more about that too, as a woman in sports <laughs> media. Like <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I'll take my uh, my oldest son first. That's Will. Uh, and he did work for the Jackets, and uh, it was great. It was uh, when I was really first getting started with Fox. And one of the cool things that we did in, golly, I can't even remember what year it was. It was Felino's first year. So we went back it up, what, seven or eight years, maybe more than that. Uh, Felino's first year, we went, wait a minute, that might have been the second trip that we took. Uh, anyway, we took these road trips in the summertime. Uh, and the first summer we went to Rick Nash's house. We went to Mark Mathot's house. We went to Antoine Vermette's house and we went to Michigan to talk to Jack Johnson. So it wasn't Nick Felino's first year. The second year we did it, we went to see Felino in Sudbury. And that was really fun to be able to, uh, especially with Rick Nash. Uh, we went to his cottage up in Muskoka and, uh, uh, Nash and my son are about the same age. And Nash goes, hey, man, you want to take my jet ski out and just ride it around while I'm talking to your dad? My son's like, hell yeah, let's go. So he's out in the lake riding <laughs> Rick Nash's jet ski, which was great. Then I said to Rick, uh, hey, do you have a, uh, you have a water ski for your boat? And he goes, yeah. And I said, will you take this old fat guy water skiing? And he goes, yeah, I'll do that. Let's go. So I went water skiing behind Rick Nash's boat in Canada, which was phenomenal. And my son was in the boat. So we had some experiences that were really cool. Um, he got the opportunity to travel just a little bit, not nearly as much as Donnie does now, but he, uh, he got the ability to fly to Atlanta back when the, the, uh, the jets were the thrashers and they were in Atlanta. And I remember him saying, dad, I got on a plane and there was an envelope full of money in my seat. And I said, yeah, that's your per diem. What? Yeah, that's, you can eat and you don't have to pay, pay for it with your own money. Well, that's crazy. And then he called me and he goes, dad, we're staying at the Ritz Carlton in Atlanta. I'm like, yeah, I mean, so to have your son have those kind of experiences is really cool. Now I'm staying. That's awesome. Now I'm staying in the Ritz Carlton. So that's really cool. <laughs> um, but, and then Ellie with uh, Torts, uh, Torts for all of the things that people bang on him for, Torts is so awesome with kids. He, he's just so, so great with kids. Uh, so, um, maybe before you guys, uh, really started paying close attention, my daughter, Ellie, who's now 12, when she was eh, four or five or whatever, uh, Dalton Prout gave her a stick at practice and that did it from then on uh, Dalton Prout was God to her. And she had a Dalton Prout Jersey and she had Dalton Prout this Dalton Prout that, and they really actually forged a pretty cool relationship to the point where now we know Dalton's sister. We know his mom and dad pretty well. They all know Ellie. They all want to, you know, when Dalton was playing with the Jackets, they all wanted to see Ellie and get their picture taken with Ellie and all that kind of stuff. And it was really, really fun. So I take Ellie to practice with me one day, and it was during a stretch of games when uh, Dalton was benched. And uh, so Ellie's sitting in the press conference room. Torch comes in, and he looks over, and by the way, she has her Dalton Proud jersey on. Torch looks over and goes, who's this? And I said, that's my, that's my daughter, uh, Torch. And he goes, oh, uh, hi, Ellie. Uh, would you like to ask a question? And she said, yes, I would like to ask you a question. She goes, uh, why isn't Dalton Prout playing? <laughs> and I said, Whoa, <laughs> nice. Good job. And, and Torch laughed. 
And he looked over at her, and then he saw that she was wearing a proud jersey, and he's like, oh, God, I should have seen that. <laughs> and he gave her a fantastic answer. He said, you know what, Ellie, you keep rooting for Dalton Proud because he's a good guy, and he's going to get back in the lineup, and it's great that you are a fan of his because he's a good guy, and he's, he's going to be okay. He's not playing tonight, but uh, you keep rooting for him. And it was just a, it was a great answer and one that Dalton appreciated and Ellie appreciated, and frankly, the assembled media was like, all right, that was pretty cool. So that's really sweet. That's awesome. Such a great side of torch, and he has done it. I've seen him do that probably five or six times when kids come into the uh, the press conference room, and then he'll always go over and give a little fist bump and a hey, great question and good job. It's it's really really cool. I love the torch media. No matter what the situation, it's always you never know what you're going to get with torch. <laughs> But yeah, I love I yeah. love his uh, just last week when I think it was Portsline asked him something about what do you think about no no fans? He's like I don't give a I'm like I love it. He's back. Yeah, it was uh, it was Porty did a story on uh, on the mics being able to pick up you know four letter yeah. words or whatever mm-hmm. and torts yeah I don't give a you know what classic torts and he doesn't like he he says what's on his mind. No, yeah, he definitely doesn't lie to anybody. Like, you you know exactly how he's feeling. Yeah, you don't have to convince me. I'm a huge Torts fan, so I love the, I yeah, love the honesty. <laughs> yeah, last year at the, at, at the trade deadline when, uh, when he held Panarin out in Montreal and people were like, is he really sick? Is he really sick? And he goes, uh, yeah, he's pooping his pants right now. So well, what else do you want? <laughs> I remember that. So, uh, so one of our writers, Elaine Shercliffe, who couldn't be on tonight, she really wanted to be, she wanted to talk to you, but, uh, she mentioned, and I think I remember you talking about this, or it came up probably in a game a couple of years ago or so, but she mentioned that you collect pucks on road trips and special events. So we were curious about what some of your favorite pucks were, but also she mentioned, I had to add this too, she mentioned that um, they had run into you after, I guess she was covering a game at the inaugural Buffalo Buttes yep. game in Buffalo at the restaurant yep. attached to the arena. You were there, and you were bummed that you didn't get a puck, and her mom right. wasn't able to get you one, but... Anyway, um, yeah, I was curious, though, uh, what are some of your favorite pucks? Actually, I have my own puck collection over here also. I have, like, ten or so on my uh, my little counter right yeah, here. Yeah. Um, uh, you probably have way more It's a good thing that my know. wife's not in here because she's like, all right, enough of the pucks. All right, enough of bringing the pucks in. <laughs> uh, but I like to, uh, especially the uh, the practice pucks, the game-specific pucks, I like to get those, especially if it's on a significant date, you know, somebody's birthday or whatever. Um, and I'll tell you. I don't know. I probably shouldn't admit to this, but I'll, I'll admit to it. So I got a game specific puck in Vegas and uh, the person who had to shut up for that particular game may or may not have signed the puck. I don't know how it happened, but he just happened to sign the puck. <laughs> so that's up in the collection just because it was a significant game. But uh, I think I have them from every, uh, every team and some game specific pucks. And, and frankly, part of the motivation for it is at the, uh, at the hockey hall of fame in Toronto, they have an unbelievable puck wall, which before it used to be before you even walked in, it was outside and they have pucks from everywhere. They have, uh, you know, junior pucks, they have college pucks, they have a puck from Ohio state, they have a puck from Bowling Green, they have pucks from really all over North America. And I'm sure some from Europe too, but those are just the ones that stick out. And it's really cool to, to go see those, uh, those things. And, and that was kind of my motivation. I don't have a puck wall, I would like to have a puck wall. I think that'd be really cool. But as it stands right now, my wife just has to dust around it and drives her crazy. 
That was funny. I actually have, uh, I think it's Andrew Castles. I don't know. Right. I have a couple signed ones over here. I have uh, Vinny, Vinny Prospel. So, yeah, Espen Knudsen. So. Yeah, those are cool. And it's, and it's funny, but the guys you get to sign pucks, like, it's it's not always for me the, the leading goal score or whatever. Like, one of my favorite jackets of all time is Antoine Vermette. And the reason for that is because he's just such a good, good dude. You know, it's a good hockey player. He's a great hockey player. Stanley Cup uh, winner. But uh, beyond that, he's just a really, really good person. Uh, I actually have his nameplate from his locker after he left. I have it above my uh, closet door before I go out of the closet. And I look at that all the time. And I it kind of, I mean, it sounds corny, but it reminds me, just be a good person like Antoine Vermette. Because he's, he's a shining example. And there have been many others. I mean, Nick Foligno is another guy that, uh, you know, you could do that with as well. But Vermette made an impact on me early on. And so uh, some of the guys that I have sign things randomly, uh, Vermette. And, we, and, of course, this house is full of Dalton Proud stuff. So because he's also a good dude. That's awesome. Uh, I just have one more question. So I know you're from Minnesota. You're a big Twins fan. So how do you feel about this team this season? Finally, Finally baseball, baseball coming back. back and uh, we have Josh Donaldson. So the, uh, the lineup has only gotten stronger. Really bummed when, uh, when this COVID-19 thing hit and shortened the season. And when it looked like they weren't going to have a season, I was like, oh, no. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I love being a Twins fan in the heart of Cleveland Indians country. Oh yeah! Oh, look at look at the hats. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Show that to an Indians fan. Uh, and I, our our, uh, our editor is an Indians fan, so yeah, I'm sure I'm sure your editor loves that uh, loves that hat. All you got to do is say, hey, 2016. What happened oh, yeah. there? A rain delay, and then uh, anyway. Isn't uh, I love this? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, I just I mean I've I've loved the Minnesota Twins since I was probably 10 years old. And I was fortunate enough to see them win the World Series in 87 in person. I didn't see them win it in 91. But having those two World Series championships in my back pocket when Indians fans start giving me a hard time, like they did last year, oh, yeah, Twins finally won the division first time in nine years. And I'll say to these people who were, you know, maybe my age, maybe a little bit older, uh, now, were you around in 48 the last time they won? Have you ever seen your team win a World Series? Because I don't think they won one in your lifetime. And my team has won two in my lifetime. So I just love, I just love giving it to Indian fans. And they give it back to me. But, uh, yeah, baseball, baseball's right there behind hockey for me. And, uh, I have, Same. I have high hopes for this 60 game sprint for the Minnesota Twins. Hopefully they can stay healthy and, and, uh, beat the, uh, the, as they are named now, the Cleveland Indians. I've told my friends that what they should name them is the Cleveland Twins Chasers which would be a much better name. <laughs> oh, man. Apologies to PD. He'll be listening later, but um, it's all fun. It's all fun twins, rivalry. It's twins, all, I know. Yeah, Twins Chasers. It's a perfect name. You can shorten it to Chasers if you want. You know what? I'll, I think we would all agree, though. We'll take every rivalry back right now over not having sports. Like, that's this is what's awesome about it. Also, I was also really curious. What, what are your thoughts on the Minnesota Wild? I know, you know, you cover the Jackets, and of course, you know, but... You know, living in Minnesota, did you have uh, any kind of special feelings, I guess, for the, when the Wild came into the league or even now with their games, or is it just kind of like whatever, they're just another team? No, I was a huge North Stars fan. So uh, to me, uh, Minnesota should still have the North Stars. Uh, when I go to Dallas, it's cool for me to look up in the Raptors in Dallas because there are several 
North Stars players whose jerseys are retired and hanging in the rafters there. Mike Padano played for both the North Stars and the Stars. Uh, and then Bill Goldsworthy, who was a guy that I was a big fan of when I was a kid. So, so the, the North Stars were my team. But I will tell you quite candidly, when I go back to Minnesota and I'm standing in the uh, XL Energy Center and uh, they say, let's play hockey, which has been a phrase there since 1967, I always get just, I get a little of that Minnesota emotion coming back because that's home to me. So uh, they're not my team. I like, uh, I like a lot of their players. I like Parisi. I like uh, Marcus Foligno's Nick's younger brother, obviously. Uh, I like a lot of those guys. But man, for that, for that moment, uh, when I'm looking around that building and they say, let's play hockey, I'm like, man, this is home. And I haven't lived there for a long time, but it still feels that way when that moment happens, you know? Totally. That's awesome. For sure. Thank you for your time. This was a really nice conversation. I've yeah. been missing hockey a lot lately. Yeah, I've been really too. looking forward to this restart. Yeah, it's, and I'll tell you, have you been to practice at all? Have you gone down to any practices? Mm-hmm. You should just go. No, just, but I, I, maybe I'll text Jeff because I see Jeff's there every day. I could just yeah. go and sit and chill with him. All right, maybe I'll do that this week. Yeah, because it, really, uh, it really fills that void. I mean, just you feel that chill in the, in the arena. Guys are whipping up and down, torches barking, the whistles are going. Uh, it just, it, it gives you that feel like, okay, we're close. We're close. And this, this is a good substitute until the games actually start. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks again so much for, you know, coming on and talking hockey and everything with us. Yeah, appreciate it. Anytime, man. Anytime. I will uh, gladly talk Blue Jackets or any kind of hockey or Minnesota Twins for that matter. Yeah, of course. About. Had to get that in <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're talking with Will... Yeah, he'll talk baseball with you. So <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I'm with you. Baseball and yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, definitely look forward to more blue jackets. Oh, keep doing the Instagram posts. Those are great. I love those posts that you're putting up lately with practice and everything. Those are good. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well that's uh, again, I have something actually to post. I was a little uh, distracted by the golf tournament last week, but I'm going back to practice uh, this week. So Yep, they'll be coming. All right. Have a good one. All right, see you guys. Bye. Bye. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Perley and Howlin' Moons off of their album Homemade Vision. Angela's newest album is called 430 and you should definitely go check it out. Check her out at AngelaPerley.com and you should also check out Angela Perley on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for videos and live stream concerts from her home during the stay-at-home period. Rate us and leave us a review on iTunes and as always, we welcome your comments and questions. You can tweet at us at CBJCannon and comment on JacketsCannon.com from all of us at the Cannon. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. You're cool like-